On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Greg Matson. So we're going to get the heavy lifting out of the way today. We're going to get through all the, I don't know what you want to call it, 15 hours worth of meetings where I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know what's happening. So you meet for five hours a day in Florida, players on one side, league on the other. Nothing really happens. So what's being discussed? I mean, are they just having a nice buffet lunch and just sitting there staring at each other across the table? It, what is honestly being discussed to eat up five hours a day? Or is it just sort of a, uh, you know, optics? Is that what we're looking at here, Greg Hill? Because nothing seems to be happening. Yes. Okay. We'll run with that. Well, we are just, uh, I don't know, day or two away from more spring training games being canceled. We are through the weekend until Monday, holding on to a timeline where regular season games could begin on March 31st. However, if there is no deal in place by Monday... That is also in jeopardy. So we'll get through the heavy lifting here. I do want to have a little fun on the program tonight. Will Salmon is going to join us from The Athletic. He's actually in Arizona. I saw this today. Adam McKelvey, Todd Rosiak, our friends who cover the Milwaukee Brewers, Will, were all posting pictures from American Family Fields of Phoenix. I was like, well, what are they doing here? They're just covering the minor leaguers. (laughs) There are minor leaguers at the facility. They're doing their thing. But maybe that's sort of the the story within the story, is that Major League talent is just non-existent when it comes to spring training facilities in the Cactus and Grapefruit League. We'd love to hear from you tonight as well at 855-616-1620. That is the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And uh, we'll also do a little thing later in the program. So 8.30, I want you to get your thinking cap on. Uh, You know those Facebook memories that pop up on your, your Facebook feed? So you'll see something from, I don't know, seven years ago. You posted a picture of you and your friend in Hawaii or something. I don't know. Well, this popped up on my feed. I'm kind of surprised it did. But pre-kids, pre-marriage, I think I had hair back then. For whatever reason, I posted some publications, all-time Brewers lineup from 2009. So this is before Christian Yelich. This is before... I was about to say Lorenzo Cain, but he's had a couple of stints with the Brewers. I was like Jeremy Burnitz was like the marquee player, right? Just 2009. So I thought we could go through that list because it is somewhat comical. I did not expect to see Chris Bazio's name on any all-time list, but here we are. And then see if we could figure out our own all-time Brewers lineup. You know, we're you know 13 years removed from when I posted this on my Facebook, so the names have changed and... And Brandon Woodruff was in, like, seventh grade around that time. So we've come a long way is what I'm getting at, Greg Hill. We'll get into that coming up at about 8.30. Jesse Rogers and Jeff Passan, they are all over what is going on in Florida. And really, it, it amounts to minimal, minimal production. Incremental progress is the buzzwords, I think, from Jupiter, Florida. And as we know, a deadline is looming. Once we get through the weekend, it's keep your fingers crossed. Unequivocally. If there's not a deal by February 28th, we are going to miss games. Is that the sort of thing that pushes the players perhaps to go and make the move? Are the players going to sit there, call his bluff, and say, you know what? We feel like even if we are losing money for this, the moral stand that we're taking is going to be worth it. And that is a risk. That is a big, big risk to take. That's passing appearing on the Pat McAfee show earlier today. I guess the bigger question is, how did we get here? Right? Why are we sitting here? I don't know month away from the start of the season or scheduled start of the season without a deal. I understand why each side is doing what it's doing. The players 
are as strident as they are because they have the moral argument in this case. The reality is the, the way that the league has treated them over the last decade or so, salaries down for four straight years, service time manipulation, so some of the best players in the game don't get called up when they should. Tanking, which long before it was happening in the NBA and the NFL, you saw it happening in Major League Baseball. All of these things leading to a worse game, and the players are sitting there saying, we're tired of this shit. The players were pretty much bowled over in the last deal, so they're trying to make up a lot of ground. And baseball is standing there saying, we'll give you a little bit, but it's nowhere close to where the players want it to be. They want to be paid earlier in their career. Baseball is not interested in paying players earlier in their career. They want to keep things under control as much as possible. Billionaires trying to protect their money. Millionaires trying to become millionaires, I suppose. And it doesn't help that the two sides hate each other. The disgust going in both directions is unlike anything I have seen. Frustration, the disappointment... They both just feel like the other side sucks and that they are intractable and not willing to move. But somebody has to blink first. Typically, it's the players. Will that happen again? They have a lot of work to do over the next 96 hours or so if they want to get a deal done. Now, that doesn't mean a deal can't get done, but someone's going to have to make a big move. And I just don't know which side's going to do it at this point. I mean, yesterday MLB came out and said unequivocally, If there's not a deal by February 28th, we are going to miss games. Is that the sort of thing that pushes the players perhaps to go and make the move? Are the players going to sit there, call his bluff and say, you know what? We feel like even if we are losing money for this, the moral stand that we're taking is going to be worth it. And that is a risk. That is a big, big risk to take. That's Jeff Passan. So that's the heavy lifting for the night. It's just not in a good place. I could get into some of the nitty gritty and... I know you're going to prevent tanking and all that, but look, I don't want to take you down that road. This is not about the DH. This is not about the universal DH or the elimination of seven-inning doubleheaders. No, this is about protecting the nest egg. Baseball doesn't want to give up money. Players want to earn more money, and that's where things stand in a nutshell. But the pressure is on. Deadlines typically spur action, and we're getting very close to a deadline here as illustrated by Rob Manfred's recent comments. Coming up, we're going to switch our sights to baseball. Nothing to do with the lockout, more to do with what do the Brewers need to do before the regular season begins? That flurry of activity pre-lockout? Well, you can only imagine there will be a flurry of activity once the players are not locked out and back in the good graces of the league, ready to play ball. So what is going to happen? How do the Brewers need to tweak their roster Will Salmon of The Athletic will join us from Arizona coming up after this. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. I'm not sure if this would be Will's walk-up song. What do you think? Oh, no. Well, I can see him getting out of the doors a little bit. Yeah, a little classic rock for okay, Will. Sure. Uh, Will likes to dress in black, so I, I, I feel like he's got a little... Still a little hard rock, maybe a little metal in them. Some a little edgier. Um, and not that this is metal or anything overly hard. I mean, it's classic, though, right? Sure. I mean, it just It, it kind of paves the way for the stuff that we listen to today. Joining us from Arizona, it is Will Salmon of The Athletic. Will, a decent walk-up song for you? Is that going to work? Yeah, man. I, I love Jim Morrison. Yeah, let's, let's do it. That's great. All right. Cool. Solid. The musical inclinations of Jim Morrison. I, I was very interested to see pictures today from yourself, Adam McKelvey, Todd Rosiak was posting. Boy, it's like nothing ever changed, right? <laughs> Spring training time, everybody's in 
Arizona. I guess you didn't have to travel, uh, change your travel plans because you'll be there anyway, but it's not often that you be- beat the big leaguers down to spring training, Will, is it? No, it's not very often, not for nothing that you um, pay six hours' worth of attention to the minor league camp um, on a daily basis. Usually it's it's kind of an afterthought. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of the intrigue and a lot of the interest and excitement revolves around the major league club um, during normal times. Um, this is not normal times, so therefore the focus is on guys who are in minor league camp who are not on uh, major league 40-man rosters who are able to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Hedbert Perez, right? It's just like, you know, players that you probably haven't heard of. I, I know there's some, you know, major leaguers or pre-major leaguers who sign minor league invites to camp and whatnot, but I'm sure that situation is pretty quiet as well. I, is it just kind of a waiting game, or or is it time to start cranking out content and, you know, just seeing what this uh, prospect watch 2022 could look like? <laughs> combination of the both um it's 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 interesting because you mentioned like guys who sign like minor league deals we haven't really seen any of those type of guys like the veterans who, who usually see trying to break camp um a lot of that's kind of because it's just honestly it's not in their best interest even though like they're not on the 40-man roster right now what i mean is that i mean these are guys who have accrued major league time it's just not always a great look to to be doing that and i don't know if really helps them that much anyway, for that matter, since, you know, major league coaches aren't here anyway. So it's mostly minor league staff, player development guys, um, executives on the minor league side of things right now. Um, but, yeah, things are getting a little bit, I guess, dicey as far as opening day goes, obviously. And then after that, maybe um, cutting games a week or two afterward, it seems like um, things are on track that way, unfortunately, unless something breaks or happens. Um and improves discussions to this point. But, yeah, if that doesn't occur, I guess it would be time to to introduce uh, some prospects to some people for sure. Well, let's table the lockout discussion, and let's look ahead to what the current roster could look like. I remember in November it was like a candy store, right? Money thrown all over the place, free agents signed, and so on. Then the lockout hits. But there are still hundreds of players looking for work. So I, I would imagine it would be a feeding frenzy once the players are no longer locked out. Where do you think the Brewers still need to add? Where is there work to be done to complete this roster? I'd love to see them add some offense, though. Um, you can make the case that this is a better lineup, even though it hasn't changed much. Um, just because you get a full season of Willie Adamas, you probably get better first-base production um, just based on Rowdy Tellez being there for a full season, even if they don't upgrade that, that position. Your outfield projects to be a little bit better um, with Hunter Renfro, um, Tyrone Taylor, Christian Yelich, hopefully healthy um, and without his back bothering him. And then Lorenzo Cain, it projects to be a little bit better um, as long as Christian Yelich is able to be on the field more than he was last year and produce at a higher rate. Uh, that said, I, I still think they need more offense, and this is a league now that in all likelihood, we'll have a DH as well. So all the other offenses are going to get better by virtue of that. And so will the Brewers, yes, but their guys are, are not like they're the guys that they're going to be choosing from internally for those roles. They either have a lot of questions around them, like a Kesson Hira, or they're just not as good as the other teams that are contending teams that we think of, whether it be the Mets, Dodgers, et cetera. Um, who have a deeper bench that they could pull from if they don't go to an external route. So I, I would make the argument that the Brewers need more offense, um, particularly with the, the added DH, uh, which is most likely. 
And then just the smaller items like, you know, uh, enhancing their bullpen a little bit. This is a bullpen that contains Devin Williams and Josh Hader, so I'm not talking about anybody too significant. But, uh, you know, Brad Boxberger, who pitched the seventh inning for them pretty pretty well last year, is a free agent. So in all likelihood, they'll have to replace him and fill that role somehow. Where does Aaron Ashby fit in? I think that they should probably go with a six-man rotation. That's just my opinion. And I say that because things are, once again, just like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, a little bit up in the air. So we don't know exactly what could be expected from starting pitchers right out of the gate. And I think it would be really unrealistic to assume that any of these guys are able to throw 200 or so innings if it's like 150-game season, 160-game season, that sort of thing. And so I think you're more likely to see more guys throwing maybe 150, and, and that being a good thing for teams. And so I would imagine, or I would at least guess, that maybe more teams will be inclined to go with the route that the Brewers went. And if they choose to do that, Ashby fills that sixth spot. Now he could open the season in the bullpen still, too, and maybe depending on the amount of days off they have, Maybe they don't need a six-man rotation. Maybe the days off fill that so that it's just five guys and they're all on the same rest like we saw a little bit last year. So I think it remains to be seen, but he's good enough to be a starter right now, I think. Uh, he showed that he was on their playoff roster, uh, for goodness sake. I mean, the, guy, the guy's good. Uh, he, he, has, he has a lot of talent and his stuff's for real. Two years ago, Christian Yelich was coming off an MVP season. Keston Hero was an all-star in the making. And now I don't know what to make of either of them. How long is the leash on Keston Hira? And does Corbin Burns' turnaround factor into the Brewers' thinking? Um, I'm not sure. Just because, like, the pitching is pitching development is so different these days. It's so I mean, well, so different than hitting development these days. It's so far ahead of it. Um, a lot of that has to do with hitting being re- reactionary. So just inherently, it's a little bit behind because you are reacting to what the pitcher is doing, but. Still, like, we see it, technology, um, just guys refining the repertoire in ways that we've never seen before. And we are not seeing those same type of success stories with hitting. So I don't know if you could make that connection. Um, but, you know, I, I spoke to Keston Hears, uh, hitting co- his personal hitting coach that he's been working with again. Uh, he used to work with him when he was younger. He's working with him now because of the lockout. And they're refining his leg kick a little bit. They're toning it down. He kind of has that tack plus the aggressive leg kick, so they're trying to tone it down a little bit. And it remains to be seen whether it will work or, or what it means because he's not facing major league pitching consistently or, or at all for that matter right now, so you can't really tell. Um, as far as the leash goes, I'm sure they'll give him a shot um, because he could fill in at first base. He could be a nice platoon with Rowdy Telez, who's a left-handed batter, Keston being a right-handed batter. He could help at DH, assuming that that's there. David Stearns also mentioned the possibility of maybe trying him in the corner outfield spot, maybe left field or something like that in a pinch. So there's a little bit of versatility, even though he's not the best defender. Um, and that Batman, he hit his whole life up until about 2020 when he was mostly just showing power until last year where he just was whiffing way too way too much against balls in the strike zone. So I think that they, they want to give him a shot. They should give him a shot. Um, we saw the leash wasn't too long even last year. Uh, after about a, a few weeks, they sent him to the minor league. So I would think that that would be the same thing this time around. Well, and he's inexpensive, right? I mean, you're not, you're not paying a mint to keep this guy in the roster, and I, I think that was part of 
you know, what, what kept them attracted to Burns. The talent was there. There was no question about the talent. You, you've got some runway with the guy based upon what he's making. I also wonder about his headspace, though, Will. The reason I bring it up is I know this is a story of, about a year ago at this time. We learned that, that Keston's mom had cancer. And he's incredibly close with his family. And then all of a sudden, he goes from seeing her every day to, you know, his day job of being a Major League Baseball player. Then he's on the road. He's in Milwaukee. He's all over the place, unable to spend time with his family. Toward the end of the year, she beat it. And she was ringing the bell in remission. And I can't help but notice his production picked up shortly after that. So I do wonder if there's like a a headspace component to the whole thing. It probably is. Um, it's hard to speak for him, but just been talking with him during the season a little bit. Obviously, that's where his head was mostly at, was with his family, as it should be. And, I mean, it's just nature, right? Like, if, if you or I were to unfortunately go through something like that, it'd be hard for us to do the best job that we can on a daily basis. And for anybody listening, I'm sure they could relate as well. Uh, it's just very difficult. And when you're a professional ball player and you're doing this seven days a week, it's extremely difficult. And you're on a stage and a platform and everybody's watching you and you have a lot of pressure on yourself because you've had success before. It becomes very intense. And so, yeah, I I definitely don't want to discount that. And, yeah, you definitely made a good point with uh, the fact that he is uh, very inexpensive uh, with a lot of upside, which is a buzzword, of course, but it's there. We saw it in 2019 and we saw it throughout his minor league career. And if he could replicate even a little bit more of that um, in 2022, if he's given the opportunity to do so, yeah, it would no doubt be a bargain for the Brewers. You mentioned Christian Yelich's name. He is not inexpensive. He's incredibly talented, and he was a miserable hitter last year, which was painful to watch at times. Will, I, I know the back was a thing, but I also felt he looked lost at the plate and could not be relied upon in almost any situation yet it was impossible to keep him out of the lineup. It was just Craig Council's hands were tied. How does he get back on track and over the hump, and even to become remotely the player that he was, because it was just not pretty last year at all? No, it really wasn't. Um, it, it reminded me, statistically, it reminds you a lot of like the 2017 season he had with the Marlins. Um, I wrote about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a lot of his rates, whether it was ground ball rate, um, even like his exit velocities, things like that were very, very similar. And so were his power numbers for that matter. It's just that his average, his on-base percentage were actually, I think, a little bit better in 2017. Certainly the batting average was, um, and and he was just more productive that year. Um, But the rates were very similar. So that kind of gives me a little bit of, like, optimism. But clearly, like, he's just got to generate more power somehow. I mean, he's got to get the ball um, in the air uh, with some authority, we just weren't seeing that on a consistent basis much last year. Some of that, you know, now that I say that out loud, though, like there were times where he was doing it and he ran into some bad luck, um, but it just it just wasn't consistent enough in, in that department. And I think he'd be the first to say it. And, and it got worse almost as the season went on, just because I believe September, August, I believe it was September, October, I should say, those, those last month or whatever, those were like his highest ground ball rates of the season by far. Um, so that that has to be corrected. It has to tone down a little bit, even if he's not the guy from uh, 2019 or 2018. He, he's got to be more than he was last year for sure. Will Salmon writes for The Athletic. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. Also check out his work in The Athletic. Always good stuff from Will. Enjoy your time in Arizona, man. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know, baseball players there, at least major leaguers, but uh, it's nice to be there, I'm sure, nonetheless. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I can't complain about the sun here and, and some some uh something playing baseball. 
All good, man. Get some sunblock on. Appreciate you joining us tonight, Will. I hope to see you in Arizona sometime soon. Oh, anytime, Greg. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. Take care. That's uh, Will Salmon of The Athletic. Interesting stuff. This roster is nowhere near fully shaped at this point, and I think you could probably say the same thing for most teams in Major League Baseball. All right, coming up next, just because a number is available, it doesn't mean you can have it. More Brewers Weekly after this on WTMJ. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Unless something breaks or happens um, and improves discussions to this point, but yeah, if that doesn't occur, I guess it would be time to, to introduce uh, some prospects to some people, for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, Garrett Mitchell, your top prospect in the Brewers' farm system. Well, you raked last year, though. He was a thing. The product of UCLA, former first-round draft pick of the Brewers, still young, working his way up quickly through the minor league ranks. That's about it right now. If you're covering baseball, it's not about the Cactus League or the Grapefruit League. It's about the minor leagues, as their seasons are on track to begin on time. They're not affected by any of this lockout stuff, so there will be baseball at some level, I suppose, this summer. You may have to drive to Appleton to find it, or Beloit, or somewhere around the state of Wisconsin. We're okay Bring with Bring it that. on. Yeah, we can take this thing on the road. Absolutely. Right? Why, why can't we have, you know, Timber Rattlers Weekly? Why can't we have Timber Rattlers Extra Innings? I like where your head's at. I, I don't know why not, right? We got kits. We can be mobile, right? It's hammer time. It's 2022. Just because a number is available, it doesn't mean you can have it. I am thinking of one former member of the Milwaukee Brewers who fits into this category. A player whose number is not retired, but it's sort of retired. A player whose number is not hanging from the walls in the outfield at American Family Field, but his number is no longer in circulation. It's not being handed out to new members of the Milwaukee Brewers. And hasn't been for years and years and years and years. Who am I thinking of? Number not retired, but no longer in circulation. Here's the story out of New York. You ever heard of a guy named Morgan Ensberg? Morgan Ensberg played, had a nice career. He played for seven or eight years. His final season in the big leagues came with the New York Yankees in 2008. He was given the number 21 by the New York Yankees. Long, proud history of the Yankees. If your number is retired as a member of the Yankees, you did something. 21 was the number worn by a guy named Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill was an outstanding player. First baseman, lefty, always seemed to come up clutch, was part of some Yankee teams that went on to do great things. Very popular player. He played for nine seasons with the Yankees. And after six years out of circulation, the Yankees decided to quietly reintroduce his number 21. To the fans, that was a big mistake. And Morgan Ensberg knew it. So when he joined the Yankees, he begged the Yankees to give him a new number. In fact, he offered $5,000 to buy a different number from his teammate, Wilson Betamit. He even apologized to O'Neill, who insisted he didn't mind. But Ensberg knew he would never win over the fans by wearing number 21. The fans made it very clear, Ensberg said, even during spring training. That's Paul's number. Who am I thinking of? 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join. If you got a guess here, 855-616-1620.
Former member of the Milwaukee Brewers, popular player. Number is not retired, not in the Hall of Fame. But his number isn't in circulation and hasn't been since he retired. Ultimately, the number 21 was worn by former Brewer Latroy Hawkins. He gave it up shortly after Ensberg dropped it in 2008. Ensberg was released in like June of that year. I mean, he really never got off the ground with the Yankees. Well, now the Yankees are going to retire the number 21, which is remarkable because, again, it's the New York Yankees. There are some other players, Albert Pujols, right? I mean, his his number five for the Cardinals, nobody's ever going to wear that. It'll probably be retired at some point, but it's not in circulation. Can you think of it? 855-616-1620. There's an interesting story that corresponds with the player I'm talking about. Lining up some phone calls. We'll get to those coming up on the other side. Who am I thinking of here? 855-616-1620. Just because a number is available, it doesn't mean you can have it. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us. I'm looking for one player. Former member of the Brewers, popular player, number not retired, but number no longer in circulation. We'll call it unofficially retired. Who am I thinking of? There's an interesting story that corresponds to the player, which I'll get to once we uh, have the correct guess. Let's check in with Mike in Port Washington. Mike, you've got one guess, one guess only. Who am I thinking of? I was thinking Mike Caldwell, because they retired Jackie Robinson's number, which is 42. And Caldwell was 48. With the Brewers. Oh, yes, 48. I'm sorry. Okay, that's what it was. Okay. Uh, it's okay. That's okay. It's a good guess. It was, Mike. It was Mike. probably somebody who was 42, though. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> One of the Brewers were 42, possibly. Well, I, it's, I, guess I, didn't, I guess I didn't take into consideration the Jackie Robinson thing. I, I probably should have. Uh, I think Scott Carl was the last member of the Brewers to wear 42. Around the time it was retired. I think he was grandfathered in with it. I, I don't recall. Mike Caldwell wore number 48. Greg Hill, do you want to take a guess how many members of the Brewers have worn the number 48 since Mike Caldwell retired in 1984? Uh, I'll say four. 29. Okay. <laughs> 29. Jeez. Oh, boy, should I go through that list? The most recently, Colin Ray, Sal Romano, I mean, <laughs> Blaine Boyer, Tim Dillard, our good friend. He wore number 48. So did Neil oh, Cox. That's right. Neil Cox was not our good friend. Francisco Cordero, Mike DeJean. There's some forgettable names on here as well, including Julio Machado, who I think ended up in jail for killing someone. I don't, I don't mean that lightly. I think that's the truth. Uh, so 29 players wore the number 48 after Mike Caldwell. He is not the player that I'm thinking of. Don in Appleton joins us next. Don, who is your guess? Cece Sabathia. CC Sabathia is the guest of our good friend Don. Don, do you remember the number that he wore with the Milwaukee Brewers? Uh, ninety-nine. Uh, no, no, he wore he wore number fifty-two. He wore number fifty-two in two thousand eight. So well, I was just picking a number out. No, all good. My favorite brewer was Ben Sheets, who wore fifteen, and uh, that was my my second guess. Okay. Don, I appreciate the phone call. CeCe Sabathia is not the correct answer. 99 would be a great pitcher number. Uh, Ricky Vaughn. Just yeah. ask him, right? <laughs> so most recently, Eric Lauer 
wore or currently wears number 52. Jimmy Nelson also wore number 52. Sergio Mitre, kind of forgot the Brewers had him in 2011. And uh, a guy named Chris Smith, who, quite frankly, I don't ever remember playing for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Ben Sheets, just uh, an auxiliary guess. All right, we can go to that if you want. Number 15 for the Milwaukee Brewers. 18 players have worn it in Brewers history. Sheets wore it from 2001 to 2008. And then Jim Edmonds came along. He was the next player to wear it. Jerry Hairston wore it during his brief stint with the Brewers. Neil Walker, Eric Kratz, Drew Pomeranz, Tyrone Taylor, among the others to wear the number 15. We're dancing all around it. We're getting close. We are getting close. What is that, Beanie? Beanie in Bayview. Yeah, yeah, like it's that. Beanie. How's it going? Hey, Beanie, I like the alliteration. What do you got? I <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, I must say Prince Fielder is the number that we haven't yet retired. 28. And I I think Severino, like Pedro Severino, I, he might be a pitcher, um, has it currently. But I think 28 for Fielder and 8 for Braun should be considered for retiring um, in terms of Brewers' legacy. Beanie, I appreciate the call. Prince is not the player I was thinking of. Neither is Ryan Braun. Since Prince Fielder left the Brewers in 2011, Gerardo Parra wore number 28. So did Jorge Lopez, Curtis Granderson, Ryan Healy, and most recently Daniel Robertson. I had not taken Braun into consideration uh, because it certainly, it, it, at this time last year, we weren't sure if Ryan was going to play. So uh, you're right. I mean, nobody has worn number eight since Ryan Braun stepped aside i don't think he's officially retired Like they haven't had that ceremony like it's still kind of an up in the air sort of thing so i I think until he's officially retired uh you're not going to see anybody wear that and you may never see somebody wear number eight but he's not the player i'm thinking of popular player number not retired just not in circulation all right we've tripped a nerve here yeah i think we've people are honing in more of your thoughts after this. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. All right, I can see it on the call screener here. We do have a correct answer. In fact, we have multiple people with the correct answer. Uh, let's get a couple of more out of the way, though. I do think these are some interesting answers. Mike on the south side, what do you got here? Who am I thinking of? I would say Robin Yount. I've changed mine from Don Money. Well, I know. So now the difference now is is Don Money is a hell of a player, by the way. But Robin Yount's number is retired. Right. So I'm looking for a player whose number is not retired. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. But a very popular that was, player. That was so number seven. So uh, yeah. it's a good guess. Don Money gets overshadowed. I think uh, oftentimes when you talk about some Brewers greats, you think about Paul Molitor when you talk about third base. But well, Don Money was uh, was one heck of a player. But no, many players wore the number seven after Don Money, including, most recently, let's see, Eric Sogard, Eric Thames, Derek Fisher, Tim Lopes, the most recent. Al in Wauwatosa, what do you got, Al, or who do you got? Hey, guys, I love the topic. I'm going to say Stormin' Gorman Thomas. Do you remember his number, Al? No, I don't. Okay, (laughs) that's okay, you didn't have to. Number 20, Gorman Thomas wore number 20 with the Milwaukee Brewers. I can tell you that 13 players have worn the number 20 since Gorman Thomas, including, first out of the shoot, Juan Nieves, and most recently, Daniel Vogelback. In between, 
Tip of the cap to Jonathan Lucroy, Lance Nix, Frank Catalanato, and Scott Pusednik. All right. I got to pick between the two. We got two correct answers. Eeny, meeny, jelly, beanie. Jason gets it. Jason, who am I thinking of? Ah, <laughs> uh, you're thinking of number 17, Jim Gatner. That is correct. Jason, you nailed yeah. it. What led you to that conclusion? Did you know it all along, or were you sifting through names? Well, I did know it all along. I originally thought Ryan Braun, but then you said it was somebody back in the day. And then uh, that's what that's what led me to it. Well done, Jason. From when I was a kid. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I was a kid when Gantner played, so I was like, I don't know. That's just what came to my mind. His number 17 has not been worn since he retired from the Brewers in 1992. So this number has been out of circulation for a minute, right? I mean, this is around 30 years now. Nobody has worn the number 17. And I guess, are you at the point where you would recognize it? Like, if it was on somebody, Greg Hill, you watching the Brewers. Who's number 17 at second base? Well, that's where Jim Gantner played. Would that... Would that stand out to you as like, wait, wait a minute, seventeen? That somebody's wearing Gantner's number. Or I think the association with Gantner's number would be made, but I don't necessarily think that someone would be like, that's the first person since him to wear that. Okay, number. so here's my contention: on, uh, Jim Gantner was unbelievable, right? Uh, he was just not a power hitter. He was an incredible defensive player, good base runner. He was a singles and doubles guy, and he played his entire career with the Milwaukee Brewers. What, to UW Oshkosh, right? He's a home state, kind of backyard neighbor kind of guy. Uh, I, I knew his family lived in Heartland for a number of years, and he had a daughter that I knew and went to Arrowhead. It's just a great family. I, do you think his number would be in circulation if he wasn't a part of that group, that 82 group that featured Hall of Famers? And Gantner was a big part of that, and it went to the World Series for the first time as Brewers, not Milwaukee Braves. Like, he was a part of a legendary time, a very meaningful time in Brewers history. His numbers were very strong. He was a career 274 hitter. There's nothing wrong with that. That'll make you millions and millions of bucks these days. He's not a power hitter. That was never his bag. But he's an on-base guy. His on-base percentage, I should say, his slugging percentage and batting average were pretty close together, right? It just kind of gives you an idea of what kind of hitter he was, singles, doubles, gap kind of guy. Nobody has worn 17 since 1992, but somebody tried. Here's the story. Josh Hader is the Brewers' all-star closer. Do you know what number he wears? 71. 71. Josh Hader grew up in the Baltimore area. One of his favorite players growing up was a former member of the Brewers who wore number 5. B.J. Serhoff. B.J. Serhoff was the first overall draft pick of the Brewers back in the day, and he was supposed to be the jam. And people want to label him a bust. He was actually a heck of a player. And he had a much longer career than anybody wants to give him credit for. But the bulk of his success came with the Baltimore Orioles. He wore number 17 with the Baltimore Orioles. Hater wanted that number. He couldn't get it. So he said... All right, whatever, just flip it around. I'll take 71. And that is how Josh Hader got his number.
WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Oh, nice job, everyone. Well done getting that together. Kind of interesting, isn't it? I, this happens in baseball. It happens in other sports. I, I remember, a, I guess it's not that recent of an example. Uh, Donald Driver's number 80 is not retired by the Green Bay Packers. I don't think it ever will be. Uh, and Donald belongs in the Packers Hall of Fame, right? There's no doubt about that. He will not be an NFL Hall of Famer, I don't believe. Uh, Donald Driver felt his number 80 should have been retired, not to be worn again. In fact, I know for a fact he went to the Packers and said, hey, can we maybe do something about that? Uh, the very next year, you know who wore number 80? Yeah, Justin Perillo, a backup tight end. I think a third-string tight end. Like, it just it doesn't... <laughs> it's the NFL. It's, it's a little more challenging, I suppose, to get numbers out of circulation. Um I, but not since 1992 has somebody worn the number 17 in a Brewer's uniform. I, I think that's fascinating. I think it's really interesting stuff. There's always an interesting story behind numbers, how they're chosen, how you end up with what. Players buying the number off somebody else's back, which I think is interesting. And, and Hater's a pretty understated guy. Can I have 17? Uh, well, the thing, Josh, is we, we don't really... We do, is there another number maybe that you would want? We don't... I don't know, we just, I don't know if we can. I mean, it's available, but I, it's its sort of not. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, we can do something, well, is 71 available? Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll take that then. That's, just, that's how the conversation goes. Uh, I don't have time to get to it tonight, but uh, I will be in next week, I think, March 3rd, for Matt Pauly. So we've got uh, an opportunity to create an all-time Brewers lineup. And for whatever reason, my Facebook memories popped up today, and it showed me that on this day in 2009, I, I posted a link to somebody's, I, I don't know, somebody's piece about an all-time Brewers lineup. And it, and it goes back to 2009. <laughs> so uh, as you might imagine, there are some interesting names and blasts from the past on that list. I want to do a 2022 version of it. Because in 2009, well, Ryan Braun wasn't really a piece to the puzzle so much. Just sort of getting started. Uh, Kristen Yellich didn't exist in a Brewer's uniform, right? Uh, you're probably thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Carlos Gomez should be on that list. I don't even know if Gomez was around then. 2011, 10, whatever. No, he was not. He came a little later. I'm not good at this. I just realized that <laughs> I lose track of time. Like somebody would ask me today, like, well, when did you graduate college? Like, I don't know, six, seven years ago? That was 2000. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess Yeah, time goes fast. When did the Packers win the Super Bowl? Uh, it was like, I don't know, three, four years ago? No, it was like 11. Oh. Yeah, my bad. I just lose track. That's all it is. I have not lost track of time tonight. I am out of time tonight. Hopefully the next time we talk, there will be some sort of an agreement. And we're not talking about the cancellation of more games. Can't take it. It's not good for the heart or the mind or the soul. What is? Jasper Appleton.